Blog Talk Radio. you be one and the shocking part about this is that humans are literally have become widgets on an assembly line and are actually being manufactured bit by bit by bit and they're being converted into uniform units um, actually androids. And this programming starts very, very young. In fact, parents are programmed to aid, assist, and abet in this process. And so tonight what I'm going to do is talk about how humans are being literally molded and shaped into androids. And I'm going to explain to you what an android looks like. So you can tell if maybe you might be one. And also, I'm going to talk about ways to get off the assembly line to avoid becoming a uniform Android widget unit. All right, so as always, we've got to start with some definitions so we know what we're talking about. At least we're talking about the same thing. So what's an Android? As always, we can check with Miriam Webster. She can help us out with this. Um, so an Android is uh, defined as a machine that looks like a human being and performs like a robot. So it looks like a human being and performs like a robot. So then we have to go a little deeper and say, well, what's a robot? Well, a robot is a machine that performs various complex acts like walking or talking of a human being um, but has a lack of capacity for human emotions. Now, we have to be a little more clear about this. I think it's really going to help people uh, understand this. It It lacks the capacity for human emotion, but 
It also lacks the capacity to reproduce, so it cannot reproduce itself. The only way for an android or robot or to create another android or robot, you don't put two robots together and get a third robot and work that way. You might combine the spare parts of two robots and get one robot destroying the two that it was made from. But two robots cannot get together and independently produce another robot out of their own material. So there's not any allowance, there's not any possibility of reproduction. So there is zero fertility. This is important. So the robot has no fertility. The robot has no emotions. Because they get angry or happy or sad or vindictive. So none of that. Now the robot also does only as the robot is told. And the robot is directed then by something external. Let's for the sake of discussion at the moment say uh, a human being. So the robot always works, always operates at the direction of some external force, never of its own volition. Even if it appears to be acting of its own volition, it is simply carrying out a program. And so then the robot becomes uh, a very convenient uh, servant or slave. And so uh, it's a machine. And so we look up Wikipedia, machine is something made by man to serve the will of a human, has no will of its own. Now, as I said, it can't reproduce, has no relationships, so it's not going to do something because it likes somebody or because somebody's its mother or relative. It doesn't feel anger, joy, or sadness, no emotions. It does have routine maintenance. This is an important concept. Machines have routine maintenance. Uh, they're also for sale. You can buy them and sell them. Uh, and it's disposed of when the cost of maintenance is deemed too high. So this decision is made externally. It's also disposed of when its value to its owner is not high enough. It, and again, it's very obedient, does as it's told, has no imagination. In other words, you give the robot a, pro a program, it sticks to the program. It's not going to, you know, ad lib. And of course, it has no feelings. So now, if you've ever tried to get your computer to do something, uh, and heaven forbid, write the code to make it happen, or if you click the manual configuration button on the program you bought, you realize how much easier it would be to just have a human that was obedient, where you could just give the command. Any human would do it. And so what's happening in our culture then is this problem has been solved. Now, I know you guys, uh, some of you may, have, may be um, science fiction uh, sci-fi fans. And, uh, but this is not sci-fi. This is actually real. It's happening right under our noses. And I think that the sooner people become aware of it, the sooner they can decide, you know, if they want to be a part of this. Okay, so where does this Android business start? Well, it starts pretty early on. I'd say it starts right at the first prenatal visit. Yipper, yipper, yipper. So every woman is uh, commanded, directed, induced, coerced even, into getting prenatal care. Uh, the first thing that happens uh, in prenatal care is they take blood. It doesn't even matter what the blood tests are. What does matter, though, is that this woman is deprived of blood. So she's immediately put into a weakened state, and this makes her 
baby less vital, less strong than it would be. Because in the course of pregnancy, the woman's blood is actually tremendously diluted. And each blood cell she starts a pregnancy with is literally doing the work of uh, three or even four blood cells. Quite a, quite a chore. So when you take what appears to be not much blood, three or four vials from the lady at the beginning of her pregnancy, it has a magnifying effect. Then what happens? Well, so this devitalizes the baby. You're already going to get a weaker race, so to speak, just from this one act. The next thing that happens in the prenatal visit is the woman gets a pelvic exam. Not just one, several. What happens to the pelvic exam? Even though the doctor wears a glove, bacteria are tracked into the vagina, all the way up into the vagina, close to and often even into the cervix. And the doctors do this under the pretense of uh, checking the woman for sexually transmitted diseases. And so in, in order to do that, he actually takes a uh, Q-tip or, believe it or not, a small bottle brush is what it's like and twirls it inside of her cervix, um, taking a sample, which is what we doctors are told and what you patients are told. What actually happens is, again, we have decreased the lady's uh, defenses against infection and invaded the safety of her developing fetus. Doesn't stop there. So then this baby's now been deprived of blood. He's now had his uh, barrier against infection decreased with this invasion of the cervix for these uh, sexually transmitted diseases uh, tests for them. Next, he receives an ultrasound for dates, even though, even though the doctors know the ultrasounds are not accurate. What's most accurate is the lady's version of when she thinks she got pregnant. So then the ultrasound is a vibrational energy that interferes with the movement and migration of cells in the um, in the fetus, so they can't migrate as quickly to where they have to go and bind as tightly to form uh, a healthy individual. So now you're creating basically a weakened human form. And we're going to get to why it's so important to have a, a weakened human. Then we have, if the lady's a wealthy lady, we have CVS, which is chorionic villus sampling, and this is where a needle is introduced into the um, uterus, you see the cervix, it's introduced and take the little cells of the villus, of the uh, fetal tissue. Now, the problem with this chorionic villus sampling is that a cell can be taken that was going to become a part of the fetus. You can end up with fetuses missing, cosmetically missing parts, or even if they're not cosmetically missing parts, again, you've got a weakened uh, individual. Then we have amniocentesis. And amniocentesis, the woman basically is given um, a blood test to check for Down syndrome and, and pretty much they're told, oh my God, you're at high risk. We need to do amniocentesis to check to see if the baby is not perfect. Now, whether you do chorionic blood sampling or amniocentesis, you can induce an abortion. And then the babies that don't get aborted, the ones that survive, again, a lot of the immune system has been expended in defending against this onslaught, against this invasion of the, of the uterus. So 
again, you're further weakening your final product, which is, which is a human being. Then you have drugs that are given for preterm labor. That means you give drugs to delay labor. These drugs have been associated with autism. Then you give drugs to hasten labor. These drugs have also been associated with autism. And what is autism? Autism is an extreme example of uh, reduction in the brain power, functional power of a human being. And so obviously, um, not every kid gets autism, but I would, I would suggest that most every kid gets not quite so bright, not so intelligent. And the next thing that happens is the umbilical cord is cut as quickly as possible, especially if it's in C-section. As soon as the uterus is open, the umbilical cord is cut, clipped, and the baby is separated from the mother. Now, the importance of this is cutting the cord so quickly deprives the baby of so much blood that babies routinely develop something called TTN, transient to kidney of the newborn. And so just this one act of cutting the cord so quickly creates a situation where the baby becomes short of breath, has difficulty breathing the first two days of life because he doesn't have that blood volume that he needs to breathe. And then down the road at three to six months, the child develops anemia because he started life off with a low blood supply. And what again does this create? This creates weakened human beings. Then the child is born into an environment where it's noisy, it's distressing. So you immediately fill this child with fear at birth. So at birth, this child is filled with fear. He has no confidence in his mother's ability to protect him. Uh, he becomes fearful of the world, just like immediately on arrival. Then the child gets a vitamin K shot. Now, the importance of vitamin K, uh, aside from the fact that it's vitamin K, is that it's synthetic and that it clogs the liver and causes neonatal jaundice. And so those of you who are sophisticated and to liver this, liver that, you know that um, congestion of the liver means the liver can't um, filter out toxins. These toxins circulate in the blood, especially in a baby. Again, you're going to affect this young brain. And there's actually a name called pernicterus, uh, which is the name for mental retardation stemming from high bilirubin levels, basically jaundice. And again, this has been associated with the vitamin K shot. So there's a movement afoot to not give the vitamin K shot. And besides, only one baby in 10,000 even has the ability to benefit from the shot. So obviously, to treat a condition with the prevalence of 1 in 10,000 without any evidence that the condition exists, we have to seriously question what's going on here. So what happens then with the vitamin K shot is the child now becomes separated from the parents, put under Billy Rubin lights, um, mother's opportunities at breastfeeding are diminished, baby's uh, chances of having artificial formula are increased. And even said, oh, if mom breastfeeds, even, he'll get even more jaundice. So now, just like a, um, a piece of property or chattel, the child at birth is removed from the mother, not even allowed to have a natural food supply from the mother. And again, this creates a situation where this young human, just starting out, doesn't get any uh, emotional feedback or bonding. And so you're producing 
what outwardly looks like a human, but inwardly um, you're producing something or a human that doesn't have emotional interactions or opportunity for emotional growth and closeness. Then, uh, so now we have weakened this individual tremendously just from inception to birth with the vitamin K shot, uh, physically weaker and mentally weaker. Doesn't stop there. Um, now the hepatitis B vaccine is given, boom, on the spot right there in the hospital, first day of life at birth. And what we do know about the hepatitis B vaccine is it has a high death rate, especially among males. Why? Who knows? But the point is this. There are the babies that die, but what about the ones that live? The ones that live, their, weak, their immune systems are tremendously weakened by fighting off the negative effects of the shot and attempting to survive this shot. And so now we've got a, a weak human being, much, much weaker. And I used to wonder about this because as bright as I might be, I just have to confess that I noticed that my father was at least, I would say, two to three times as bright as I was. Pretty, pretty smart. And as smart as he was, as smart as he was, his parents were even more intelligent than he was. Incredible. They were sharecroppers. In other words, they didn't have, I mean, my father did two years of college. His parents didn't do that. They were extremely intelligent, very bright, very perceptive. And I just felt like this uh, midget, mentally, a serious midget. And I said, oh, thank God. I don't have to, you know, fend for myself. I can, you know, hang on to somebody's coattails for a little bit here. Um, The other thing I noticed was physically, I was just not that strong. Uh, You know, my father was extremely strong. His whole family, the woman included, were very strong, and especially his mother, physically, just an absolute titan. And she was only four feet, eight inches tall, but she was physically very, very strong. And her son lived in physical fear of her um, at least until she was into her 60s. And if they did something she didn't like, she whooped them. I couldn't believe it. I actually witnessed it once. Um, so this process of prenatal care uh, and birth care, it has a profound effect. Um, my grandmother had my father at home. And so his only exposure uh, was from birth forward. But my mother, uh, I'm not sure where she was born. She might have been born in the hospital. But I was born in a hospital, actually quite by accident. But I was born in a hospital. So we've got this modern-day human who is severely compromised. And this is, is only two days old. And then this child is separated from his mother as quickly as possible. Quickly as possible. And the pretense is she has to get back to work. And so the baby is separated, sent to daycare, and she's sent to work. And what does this mean? And the breastfeeding right there. So now I put the child on an artificial diet, and the artificial diet is filled with allergy-causing chemicals. Either it's a soy-based uh, milk, which causes allergies, or it's uh, a cow-based formula, which causes allergies. 
but even more importantly, the, this young human is trained immediately to take directions from outside and to act as a group. He must sleep when all the other kids are sleeping. He must wake when they wake. He must eat when they eat. He must eat what they eat. This is an extremely, extremely important lesson, <laughs> not to be underestimated. Um, and so this separation inclu- uh, continues into school. But now we have vaccines along the way. Now, without getting into even what's in the vaccines, what happens is we have a new technique for vaccinating the baby these days. We have the mother hold the baby while we vaccinate the baby. And this creates, again, an emotional separation, distrust between the baby, between the parents. And we know now, CDC's own research, that the vaccines do cause autism. But again, I would like to draw your attention not to the autistic kids, although their plight is bad, but to the children who are not autistic, who are simply just a bit dull. They're just a lot duller than their parents are. So we are having a whole generation that's literally being pretty dull. Now, I noticed that there was something wrong when I took a look at my two younger brothers. So we have uh, six kids in our family. I was taking a look at the younger brothers. And I looked at my youngest one. And I looked at him and I said, man, he doesn't look anything like anyone in this family. He doesn't look like dad. He doesn't even really look like mom. This is as he was growing older. He was 18 years old. You know. He was kind of tall, but nothing added up. You know. All those features were wrong. And then I was watching TV one day. Just flipping through channels. I was uh, stranded in North Dakota. <laughs> Not stranded. I was working in North Dakota with the Indians. It was like being stranded because I was very isolated. But I was looking through the channels. And uh, I, I came across a talk show. I mean, I say I was flipping through channels, but there was only three channels. <laughs> but I flipped through a few times. And so there's a talk show, and there was this guy in the talk show. My, my brother is black, by the way. This guy was in white. But he looked exactly, exactly like my brother, exactly. Now, I knew that, that obviously they'd never met. And this guy is obviously white. I mean, he wasn't half and half. So there's, you know, there's not, there couldn't be any racial, there's no racial relationship here. But the two looked exactly alike. And so I concluded back then that there was something they were putting in the water or some chemical they were putting somewhere that was influencing the appearance of literally uh, a whole stratum. And of course, the kid was about my, my brother's age. And so this is what's going on with these vaccines. These vaccines are homogenizing people. It's taking um, people's intelligence and modulating it down to uh, a, a low range, a narrow range. And this is important because androids, uh, whatever they may do, they... they they don't get bright ideas. They're not going to figure out how to embezzle from you. They're not going to focus on their own needs because a true machine slash android, of course, doesn't have any needs. It just does what it's programmed to do. And so when you have a human, you want to give the human so little intelligence, um, so little mental activity that it cannot um, appropriate the resources of the master for its own use. And so, so we have with this whole vaccine, vaccine process, homogenization going on. Uh, we've separated the kids from the parents. We've now we've put them in a public school or a private school, it doesn't matter. 
I love this debate. Should I send my child to the $10,000 a year private school? Or the $27,000 a year private school? Or should I cheap out and just send them to public school? And of course, the poor parent missed, totally, totally missed what's going on here. What's going on here is the child is being separated from its family during an important part of its life. Basically, it's waking hours from 7 a.m. to 3 to 5 p.m. And its loyalty, its trust is being put instead into an institution. So the mind is being programmed to take orders from the teacher who gives nonsensical assignments. And the less sense they make, the better, by the way. And so, because the child then asks, well, why is she giving these ridiculous and stupid assignments? Well, because she's only taking orders. She's, she's following orders. And so she's following orders, and we have to follow her orders. And so this trains the child to follow the orders of a nameless, faceless authority and not to question. I mean, even the, the idea, like when I went to school, teacher would give an assignment, like, uh, you know, read chapter 10 and answer the questions at the end. I thought that doesn't make any sense. That makes no sense at all. Why did that make no sense? It didn't make any sense because I read the whole freaking book in the first two months of the school year and I'd done all the problems. So why is she giving an assignment? Why can't we just go on to the next part? You know, aren't we trying to get this done? Don't we have important things to do, something to accomplish? So if you're giving a kid enough vaccines, he'll have trouble reading chapter 10 and getting the questions done at the end of chapter 10, let alone having the whole book read and all the questions done before Christmas. So this is what is to be prevented, is, is an individual with imagination, with self-direction, with any uh, even determination. And, and then again, with a total distrust of their parents. And this is even subtly insinuated. Why? They have school breakfast programs. Now we see the kids. And so a child is a lot like a pet. I mean, in terms of they're young, they're developing, they're trying to figure out who their loyalty is to, and they look to who's feeding them. They don't know that their cat mother's being attacked into homelessness so they can get this free breakfast at school, and that the free breakfast at school is laced with chemicals to make them even dumber. But this is the process. Again, we have homogenized units, homogenized units, and all the kids get the same message. They all get the same set of words, the same phrases, everything. And um, this is the way school happens. Then if the child exhibits any kind of unique behavior, I'm not going to use the word deviant. The word, honestly, the word is unique behavior. So the child exhibits any unique behaviors. Well, now we've got the ADHD drugs. We've got the Ritalin. You know, we've got the Adderall. We've got all kinds of modifiers. Okay, the kid's too active. Okay, slow them down. Kid's too happy. Dampen that out. The kid's angry. Give him a drug to control the anger. So... Every, any emotion a child might display is defined as a disease, is treated with a drug. And what this does when the kids get these drugs is it puts them in a state of suspended emotional maturation. So the child doesn't mature. He actually literally, his emotional maturation process stops at the point 
these drugs were introduced. Whereas if he um, was on drugs, let's say, then somebody would do something, whatever they did, he would decide, hey, I don't like that. I don't like that person. Oh, well, I think I'll spend less time with him. And so then he'll start making decisions. He'll start making little rules for his life. Like, you know, I want this rule. I want that rule. I don't want to play with kids who like trucks because I like planes. Oh, okay, so I play planes. Oh, yeah, I like planes. They're more fun. Even little decisions like that, stop. They're not made. And the kid is really put in an emotional state of suspended animation. So you can imagine the child who's put on ADHD drugs at the age of five and kept on them. Oh, this is this is awesome. <laughs> no better Android. And so um, the other thing in school is very dangerous. And again, this is uh, mediated uh, by um, medicine. Healthcare professionals are in charge of this. There's a ritual complete physical at grades uh, kindergarten one four. I want to say thirteen. For age 13 and um, begin at 16. So you get this child accustomed to being disrobed, being fondled, being infected. And this creates an android type perception in the child of literally his own body. Oh, my body is a unit. Is my unit the same as the next unit? And so you have the child then, as all these kids, they have like they get all these kids in underwear only and, and put them in a um, in a holding pen of like ten to fifteen kids. So of course the kids are comparing. Oh my God, am I a uniform unit? Am I the right size? Am I the right height? Am I too fat? Am I too skinny? Am I this? Am I that? And this is incredible. And there are kids who don't want to get physical, and they are they are physically um, coerced into having physicals. And there are some parents who say, oh, I'm going to have my child's physical at the doctor's office. And I was a doctor, and so we had a lot of parents who did that. And so they, they escaped the group, herd, cattle, I'm an android like the others. But what the child did not escape was a physical invasion unnecessarily of his privacy. I'll have to tell you very honestly, I've done a lot of school physicals. And I've never, ever found one abnormality worth noting or that would in any way influence a child's education or life. And I'm sure that people who recommend school physicals uh, are well aware of this. And so this child that is ready to be inspected and they're even anxious that they want to pass their school physical, that they want to meet a standard set by somebody they've never met, and who doesn't even care about them. Again, making an android here. And so the um, doctors mediate this ritual. The next thing um, that children are taught is they have health classes. And in health classes, Started around kindergarten now, kindergarten and first grade. And they teach the children that reproduction is criminal, unlawful, unwise, and immoral. Uh, this is illicit reproduction. In other words, reproducing by uh, one man having sex with one woman. That that is, uh, is a negative thing. And then they're taught 
that homosexuality. And I have nieces and nephews who went to school. They're taught uh, under the guise of uh, being open-minded and accepting of people who are different. They're taught that homosexuality is just fine. And what does this do? This trains uh, humans to engage in sex that does not produce pregnancy or does not produce offspring. Now, whether homosexuality is right, wrong, or indifferent is really not the point. The point is to create uniform android units that don't reproduce. That's the goal. That's the end game. And so what's taught in the health classes is that. Now, what's the doctor got to do with it? Well, the doctor enters the state, usually around age 13 to 15, and uh, birth control is handed out. So women who receive birth control, now teenagers who receive birth control can't, they don't have perspectives, so they can't tell you. But if you ask adult women, when I say adult women, I'm talking about someone maybe over 30, they will tell you that when they take birth control, like a birth control pill, a birth control shot, it changes their personality. And they literally um, can become hostile and emotionally uncaring, indifferent, and really not able to get into or excited about relationships. But they nothing of, of course, the um, sterility. But the point is, the methods of birth control now used are ones that actually impair or interfere with uh, emotional bonding between two people. Uh, oh, it's above and beyond any birth control um, effect that may, they may have. And then, of course, we're if if ch- children or people, which is not these are not teenagers, is a teenager. So if this teenager exhibits sadness, maybe uh, the kid didn't make the team. Who knows? Um, then this is called depression. Again, boom, you need a pill. And so people are being taught or trained to have an even disposition. That means not exhibit happiness or sadness over any life event or any event at all. I I just have to say, at some point in your life, some things are unacceptable. And it's okay to say, you know what? This is not okay. This is not okay. I'm leaving. I'm going home. I don't have to be present with this. I don't have to participate in this. Again, the doctor's job is to keep the kid uh, in an emotional uh, state of being numbed down and, of course, uh, in the school, in the indoctrination. Now, so any desire an individual under the age of 20 has for freedom or control of their own life is called oppositional defiant disorder. And again, a pill. Uh, it'd be some Haldol, something to really dumb him down, turn his brain off, even think about things like what he'd like his life to be like when he grows up. Again, imagination, just kill it. And I just like to point out that other cultures, I've sometimes been in other cultures, it's Panama, uh, have a different attitude towards this. And uh, particularly the Ember Indians, I'm really impressed with them. At age 15, they say to the kids, hey, you know what? Um, it's time for you guys to pair up, you know? And uh, they don't need any big marriage or anything. The guy just uh, walks up to the girl and says, hey, uh, you know, think we want to uh, have kids together or something? And she says, oh, yeah, I think that's really neat. And she goes and asks her parents, and they say, well, yeah, we think he's a pretty nice kid. And he moves in, and only when she gets pregnant, then they build a house for them. Of course, a house is a platform 
10 feet off the ground. It measures about 20 by 20 feet. That would be a pretty posh home, as a matter of fact. And so the, the kids, if you want to call them that, these, these kids, they now get to make all the rules for their life. They move into this new home, and they get to make their own rules and take care of their baby at the age of anywhere between 15 and 18, depending on how long it takes a little lady to get pregnant. And so we don't have oppositional defiant disorder, right? This kid's 15, he knows he's getting his own place in two years. He's asking mom and dad, well, well what do you think? Uh, you know, <laughs> and they're like, oh, son, you'll figure it out. Don't you worry. It'll work out. It worked out for us. So this oppositional defiant disorder or this disruptive behavior we detect in teenagers in the United States, you know, it might be that maybe they just need their own place. That's one way of dealing with it. But the point is, when you're making an android, you have to, at every turn, stifle or wipe out free will. So I just have to say this is uh, Blake Radio Network, Rainbow Soul, and you're listening to Healing with Dr. Daniels. So now we've got this person to teenagers, teenage, teenage years. And they have suppressed every emotion this individual has. It's all been drugged out. And as a so now we have a childless young adult, emotionless individual, looking for a leader or authority. And I was really surprised when I was uh, they started this movement. I think I was in high school. They said everybody needs a hero. You need a hero, someone to look up to and admire, and superior to you. I said what? I don't have any heroes. I don't need any heroes. I need to get myself together and just, you know, handle my life. What are you a hero for? So I said, so I just dismissed it. I didn't give it any bigger, bigger stuff. But they were talking to these children who had been properly processed, who were appropriately fearful, fully vaccinated, and telling them, you need a hero. You need someone to look up to. And then I moved to college and they were saying, well, a hero is a... Uh, professional star, like a professional basket star, like, like Michael Jordan, he's a role model. He's a role model? What, the, what are they talking about? So, of course, I missed the whole discussion. And what they were talking about is training a whole generation to take direction from, to mold themselves into uniform units based on some ideal put on the big screen by an authority, of course, behind the screen. And so this is, this is the training process. And we doctors are even instructed. When we talk to kids, they ask them, well, who's your favorite sports hero? Well, who's your role model? And this child is supposed to pick from uh, a list of movie stars, professional liars, for Christ's sake, um, or sports figures whose background and personal history and beliefs have been precisely manicured, manufactured, and produced by agents and publicists. And you're supposed to expect that these, these are real representations of something. And I, I didn't realize the depth of this until my daughter's, <laughs> daughter's 20-something. I homeschooled her until she was 13. My mistake, as they say, my bad. I should have homeschooled her all the way to 18. But anyway, she calls me and says, Mom, Mom, who are the five most successful people in the whole world? I say, are you kidding? And the question is that. I say, first of all, you're presupposing 
that I'm going to pick people from some magazine who've already been pre-selected by some anonymous, nameless process I'm not even aware of, and then you're going to assume that there's one measure of success, whatever that yardstick might be, and that these five people fit somewhere on that continuum. It's just not true. First of all, those people are all imaginary. They don't, you don't even know if they exist. You haven't even met them. You have a relative over here. Well, your aunt would be the most successful person at this. I mean, your uncle, he's the most successful person at that. My, my your aunt, he's, she's the most successful at saving money. Your uncle, he's the most successful at, um, you know, having kids. You've got more kids than anybody we know. Then this one over here is more successful at that. So I told her everyone has different things they're successful at. Oh, she was speechless. But this is what we're doing. We're manufacturing one-dimensional people who don't even question that their mind is working in a one-dimensional uh, axis. So, really interesting. So now you have this, these, these young adults who are childless who feel upset. Anytime they have an emotion, they feel guilty. Uh, they want to know if they take a drug to get rid of that emotion. And then they're being fed genetically modified food. And genetically modified food is very interesting. People protest that food is genetically modified when what is really being modified, of course, is human beings. So the whole purpose of the genetically modified food is to modify human beings, to weaken them, and to make them more easy to govern, more easy to lead, more willing to take direction. In fact, they'll beg direction. They... they just the the thought of not having a set of instructions to do next is distressing to them. Um, yeah, I do my, I'll refer to my daughter who's twenty something. Um, she says, "Mom, you know, I, I don't like I don't like being being alone. I feel like I need to, you know, be in a group or this or that." And so I said to her, "I said, you know, you need to cultivate being your own best friend." You need to cultivate being your own best company. She thought about that, took her a week, and she said, Mom, yes, it's not a bad idea. But again, this is an Android. You've got an Android. Always looking for external everything. It's all outside there. But the GMO food is there to genetically modify the human. GMO food, we know, increases uh, sterility and fertility. So you have an important feature of an Android that does not reproduce. This is, this is really, really crucial. Um, another important feature of the um, Android is it requires routine maintenance. It's a machine, right? So you take your car in for the 30,000 mile check. And so people now, they don't even question. Oh, yeah, go on for my annual physical. And so you've got the medical profession chief in charge of the Androids. And they check to make sure the Androids are uniform. Okay, is your cholesterol in range? Never mind, there's not any health benefit to the Android for these norm values. And this is your blood pressure. Never mind, even if it is out of range, even if there is a health danger associated with it, there's no evidence that the drugs given to address it extend life. No, 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 no. And so what's the medical profession intervenes at these annual checkups, or these annual uh, routine maintenance, do these tests, administer routine drugs according to the standard of care, 
believing at the end of the process, okay, a human being who maybe now they're on a cholesterol drug, which is going to give them mild depression, need an antidepressant, which gives them um, impotence, in need Viagra in order to have sex. And it goes on and on and on. But what you have, though, is a devitalized individual, devoid of free will, um, totally consumed with keeping doctor's appointments, taking pills, and then, of course, having a job to earn enough money to pay for all of it, which is, like, way cool, way cool. And then the hormones laced in the food is very important because what does it do? It gives a woman heavy bleeding, heavy periods, fibroids, and what does she need when she has those? You got it. She needs a hysterectomy. Take out her ovaries. Take out her uterus. You now have an official android. You have something that looks like a female but cannot reproduce and is sterile. Very, very important. Then part of the routine maintenance is mammograms, right? And what do you do when you get mammograms? Well, you catch cancer early. You catch it so early that it's not even cancer. And the woman gets her breast removed. Now you have an android. You have no breasts, no uterus, no ovaries. This is, I mean, you, you, you've got it. This is the jackpot. This is the end game. This is what it's all about. Meanwhile, the poor guy is getting increased estrogens in plastics, uh, hormones in the water supply, hormones in uh, meats. And so this male is finding that he's feeling pretty, you know, excited about himself. And he's not really interested in a woman because, well, he feels kind of feminine. And so what you have then is you have the men who, again, not interested in reproduction, not able to reproduce. In fact, many pesticides that widely use are actually hormone disruptors. They actually get males to be indifferent to females. And that's a form of uh, pesticide control and, of course, not a bad form of human control as well. So now what do you have? Well, you got a woman with no breasts and no ovaries. You got a man whose equipment doesn't work. And he doesn't feel masculine anyway. He'll tell you so. He says, I, it's not my choice. I just feel attracted to men. And it's true. It's true. It's true. You douse the population with the level of estrogens that men are being exposed to, and you're going to get a pretty high level of men. You're like, you know what? I just don't think I really care about women. I think I like men. And this is, this is again, you got androids. So, so what do we have? We have sterile adults who measure themselves by the size of their paycheck, which is basically just a number um, given to them by their boss or their ruler, uh, by the size of the paycheck and by who they work for. And you just have an Android ready, ready to be sold and bought. And this is and what are parents told? You want your kid to have a job. You want your kid to have a job. He's got to get a job. He needs to be attracted to employers. Did anybody check to see what the employment figures were? Did anyone check to see what the average employed person makes? Did anyone check to see what the average self-employed person makes? Well, I'll tell you. The average employed person in the United States in 2013 made more or less $50,000. The average self-employed person in the United States in 2013, made $100,000. Do you really want your kid to have a job? 
I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. But this is what parents are told. Parents believe. And then in school, kids are told, oh, big companies make jobs. You want to go work for a big company. Hmm. And so, again, kids are trained, trained, trained to be androids. And then, of course, just some pruning along the way. Get the tonsils out, even though you could just stop eating the dairy. Get the appendix taken out. Another piece of the immune system compromised. Although, latest research, .gov, not me, says, surgery is no longer necessary for appendicitis. Not, not needed. Hmm. Get the gallbladder removed, a portion of the intestines removed. Again, this is what it's all about. Creating uniform units devoid of any unique attributes, unique features. And then you have plastic surgery. That's really cool. So women are told that they should get uh, their their fat removed uh, as a way of helping them lose weight. But what happens? They get the fat removed from, of course, places that are big, maybe their hips or, or thighs. And so what happens when they actually lose weight is they no longer have any hips or thighs and they develop a shape very similar to men. That's right. An android. Genderless society. And then, of course, as I mentioned, the mammogram screening. And so we have the creation of an android from birth, really conception, from conception all the way throughout life. Humans are being mutilated, weakened, divested of emotions, divested of their ability to reproduce, being made fearful, minds that are suspended in time and don't develop so they can become better machines. If you can't make the perfect android from metal, why not make the same android from humans? And that's what has happened, and that's what we're witnessing. And so what we are witnessing in our culture right now with most every uh, medical intervention is literally the manufacture of an android because there is no compelling argument to state that healthcare as we know it is in any way designed to enhance health. So it is now time to take some questions if you have questions. If you're on the phone line, uh, you can click the button there for questions. And if you're in the chat room, oh my gosh, we've got questions. Okay. Okay. Okay, so we have um, comments in the uh, chat room. I see quite a bit. And one comment is, there's a Star Trek episode about androids incapable of doing anything without instructions. Exactly. Uh, they want, the nice thing in school that happens is kids are taught to not turn the page until they're told. And that didn't work, so now they don't even give kids books anymore. They just give them copies of certain chapters they want them to have. And they got their instructions through a wireless device hung around their necks. Sounds like a smartphone to me. Interesting. 
Okay. So another question is, could homosexuality be a false identity instilled through propaganda? Absolutely, absolutely could be. Absolutely could be. Um, when my kids started coming home with all this stuff from health class, every other day they were asking, geez, could I be homosexual? Could I be homosexual? Well, no, I could. And so uh, there was that, that questioning, could they be homosexual? Uh, much to my relief, uh, I think uh, for each of my kids, the questioning period lasted uh, less than a week. Okay, so let's see what else. All right, so my uh, chat room person's got to get my questions together for me because my scroll bar is not that good. Okay. I said, until now, I had no idea how important it was to avoid ADH treatment. On my stepson in the fifth grade. And so, yeah, it is very important. The ADHD treatment is part of the programming. It's part of creating um, androids. And again, the, the parents just go right into it because they feel, oh my God, my, my child needs, needs to, to get a job. Uh, he needs to get through school. And, and this is really reinforced because so many people um, believe that the child needs to get a professional uh, degree or something to be successful. Okay, we have a question here. Let me click. Hi, you're on the air. Yeah, I was wondering. I I I didn't have that good reception in the beginning. Um, uh-huh. You mentioned that uh, you were talking about the vitamin K shots, and yeah. there's like five to seven out of a hundred thousand who who don't have a, a shot or some kind of will will have either a brain hemorrhage or trouble with their uh, colon. Right, one in 10,000, uh, yeah. Yeah, so so uh, what, if you if, if you opt not to have that for your child, uh, what, how do you prevent that eventuality from, that might happen? Well, first of all, there's been such a groundswell. Once the mothers realized the vitamin K shot was causing the jaundice, which made them have to stay in the hospital four more days, which made them have to not breastfeed, um, they actually protested. So now in most states, you can simply request not to get the vitamin K shot. Obviously, it's best to have the shot at home. And as far as having a um, hemorrhage, that one in 10,000, you know, I think it's better to just take that risk because the shot causes much more damage. That that's my really. I mean, uh, the uh, according to I mean there there can can be a death a death can result from the hemorrhage, or Absolutely. there could be permanent brain damage too. Right. Even the if shot the child survives. Brain, yeah, the shot the shot causes permanent brain damage. Oh, the shot itself. Yes. Yeah, but now I under I understood also that not getting the shot can also cause permanent brain damage as well as death. 
correct, but the permanent brain damage and death with the shot is higher than without the shot. Oh, it is? Yes. Hmm. Well, that's, that doesn't make sense. It makes a lot of sense if you're trying uh, to harm kids. Uh, uh, no, no, I say it doesn't make it doesn't make sense that they would give the shot if if that's uh, if that's uh, the case. Well, that's not what they tell people giving the shots. That's not they told me in medical school. They told me in medical school these shots were important. These shots were necessary. These shots are routine. These shots need to be good. Yeah. That's what they're told. Okay. That's what these people are told. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank. Okay. Yeah. You're welcome. Alrighty. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things people are subjected to that when you look at the logic of is this helping people, there's no evidence that it's helping, and you will, well, why is this, why is this this way? And of course, the answer is who's making these rules? And the who is always anonymous, never has a name. And I leave that to conspiracy theorists, people who investigate deeper, whatever. But if you know that this is the case, if you know that you're being processed, if you know you're being turned into an android, then the solution is to simply refuse the medical care. Just walk away. Say, you know what, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. It's awful cool, but I'm going to pass. And um, as an adult, you know, don't consent to having your sex organs to take a uh, drug that leaves you uh, impotent. Um, It really is not okay. So next week's topic is physician suicide. Did you know doctors kill themselves twice as often as the rest of us? So what gives? What's the cause? Can more humane training stem the tide? And if they can't save themselves, should we trust them to save us? So I'm going to review the writings of a doctor who survived suicide and still practices medicine. And uh, this combined with available figures on suicide, their story, my analysis, tune in, think, happens. So we will see you back again next week. Dr. Daniels signing off. Make me.